Well, nobody knows when we're getting resolution on the future of the pack four. Is that what we call it now? But one thing we do know is if it does manage to survive, I think it's days as a power conference are done. You are locked on pack 12, your daily podcast on the pack 12 conference. It's the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and mostly team free and beloved Conference of Champions. As long as it, you know, exists. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. A smattering potpourri of news events to react to uh, today. AP All-American teams. We've got a new athletic director coming into USC from Washington. couple of thoughts there. But the PAX days as a power conference, I, I can't see how they continue. Now, I understand that there are bylaws about the PAC being one of the autonomous five leagues that would, you know, be considered. Now, the language of the college football playoff, I think, is worded cleverly to uh, perhaps account for this exact sort of uh, situation here. But I don't see a world, and I would like to think of myself compared to some others as more pro-PAC than others. Um, I realize I said others twice, but the point I'm making is I don't see a world in which the PAC can rebuild and be considered a power conference. Now that begs the question, what constitutes a power conference or a power program? The short and easy answer is money and pedigree. Now, you may look at a bevy of G5 schools and say, they're better than that power five team over there. Fact check true. But that is an indictment on the power five school rather than saying, well, that, that's, just, that's just proof that you're blurring the line between G5 and P5. It's just not that big a gap. No, there is, a, there is that big of a gap. Because what can happen, and the best way, I think, to illustrate this difference, and some of you have been talking to me about uh, this sort of stuff, and I'm always curious to hear your thoughts. So, as always, on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or in the YouTube comments, hit me up, and, and we can chat about this. I think the difference is what your ceiling is as a program. So, yes, you can be a G5 team and be a high-level group of five football team in any of those conferences and be able to put together a better football team than certain Power Five teams. That's unquestionably true. Air Force last year beat two Power Five football teams. They're in a G5 conference. We see those games get won all the time. The difference is the ceiling on that particular program. The ceiling on those particular programs is not as high because of the money and the caliber of player and coach that you can attract and retain at your program. That's ultimately what it comes down to. You know, like, well, why couldn't they be, you know, uh, why couldn't they still be a power conference? Because in 2024, I cannot see how the other conferences would look at what teams and schools they're made up of and say, let's just say the pack is able to survive 
I have no idea when exactly news might be, might be coming on that front, but let's just say the pack survives and rebuilds into a new Pac-12 with the model that I laid out here on the show. Four American teams for 2024, four Mountain West for 2025. Say that is the conference going forward. If they had the option to, why on earth would conferences that have invested and spent more money on a league level and an individual school level view themselves or want to be considered with the same rights and privileges afforded to a power conference as a league that is not on the same level. I don't know why they would do that. We know that this is a world in which college sports is driven by power and money and influence. And if you have an opportunity as those four conferences and I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know how they would be able to change all this sort of stuff. But I do remember seeing a report that amidst the Pac-12 defections to the Big Ten and the Big 12 with Oregon and Washington moving first and then everybody else in the Four Corners schools following by leaving the Pac and going to the Big 12, that the NCAA, or the, not the NCAA, excuse me, the College Football Playoff Committee was going to look at, uh, how many automatic conference bids to the highest ranked conference champions do we want to give out? Because currently the language is written so that it is the six highest ranked conference champions, which is not automatically five power champions and one G5, though that's the most likely and consistent outcome, but not the only one that was possible. But if I'm the other conferences, why on earth would I be accepted? If, if I'm the other schools, why would I view it as acceptable? If you're, let's just even take the Big 12, a league that is made up of four former Pac-12 schools. You do have four new incoming G5 schools, but then you have programs like Texas, you have, or sorry, Texas Tech. You have programs like TCU. You have programs like Baylor. Why would they be willing to accept the same path to getting that de facto automatic berth as a team that is playing in a vastly less difficult league? Now, if and it's different when you have if or it it is different or would have been different if you'd had two schools coming in and saying, "Okay, you have the 10 remaining schools and if you'd added San Diego State and and SMU, Yeah, that still would have been a power conference in the same way the Big 12 would have been a power conference. It would have been weaker, not going to argue that, but it was still going to be considered a power conference, and I think rightly so. And I think the Big 12 was obviously closer to to towing the line there than the Pac-12 would have been. But you were bringing in four new schools. That was going to be four of 12. Plus, you had some really respectable G5 brands that you were bringing in. I don't think they were close to that. But if you have a conference, just as a hypothetical, that in 2024 consists of only eight schools, and it's Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, Cal, SMU, Rice, Tulane, and I don't know, Memphis, just as to, to pick forward. Why, how, how in the world can a sport where perception drives so much of what plays out over the course of the season, how can that league be treated the same as a league that is made up of Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, 
and yeah, you have some bottom dwellers there. But when the middle of your conference would go into that new pack, when, when Ole Miss and Mississippi State would go in and be the prohibitive favorites, most likely, in the new pack, along with Oregon State and Washington State, most likely. But when they would automatically go to the top and they are middle to bottom tier teams in the SEC, that's when you know that conference is just not going to be there. And so I, I just don't see a world in which the pack remains one of the you know autonomous five or power five conferences, whatever you want to see, if they're able to rebuild. That doesn't mean that it can't be worthwhile because you can, as I've talked about, build the best non-power conference in the country. You can do that if you're able to get the right schools. If you end up one day with a league that's got the remaining pack four and SMU, Rice, Tulane, and Memphis, or whoever, I don't know, whoever it would be from, from the American, and then you added, you'd have to drop the academic standards, of course, don't know if that's going to happen, but if you added Boise State, Fresno State, San Diego State, and either UNLV or Colorado State, just for geographical purposes, yeah, that would be the best G5 conference in the country, given what the American conference now looks like, having been rated by the Big 12. That, that's a path forward. But I don't know how anyone will see it as a power league when you're going to be made up of over 50% of teams that were playing and competing and spending money at the G5 level just a year prior. I, I, I don't see how that happens. Maybe some of you disagree. There's never any disagreement with anything I say here. It's the internet, for goodness sakes. How could you possibly find anything to uh, disagree with? Uh, anyway, some of you might disagree or agree with what happened on the AP All-American team. Here's something we can all agree on, though. If you are looking to get something off your chest, figure out a personal issue, then therapy is the way to go, and BetterHelp is where you should be looking. So if life is challenging, if you're dealing with something in the context of a relationship, whether that's with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a family member, uh, you know, whoever it could be, BetterHelp is the way that you want to go to give it a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash college today. Get 10% off your first month of therapy. That's BetterHelp dot com slash locked on college better help b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash locked on college march madness is right around the corner if you want to win your office pool you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the locked on college basketball podcast Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, another thing we can all agree on. Second segment sips. Allow me to give you the best possible product here on the show. I thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're listening or watching, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you. So, preseason All-American team came out from the AP. That's the Associated Press. That's kind of the big national one, you know. So, 
There were a grand total of six, count them, six Pac-12 players on the first team. There were two players on the second team, and that was it. And I don't think I need to tell you ahead of time, but I will anyway, that that was not the most in the country. I know. There were conferences that did better. Surprising. I know. Now, this is reflective of how I feel with regards to the league and how it will play out and how I have felt when talking about all my record predictions for all the teams going into the season. The Pac-12 is going to be the most entertaining league. It's going to feel the most cathartic or perhaps a more negative sentiment for some other schools and fans of particular programs. It's going to be sad for some of those people, for sure. It's going to have the best quarterback play. And it also is the least likely of the Power Five conferences going into this year, because it is definitely still a power conference at this point in time, to generate a college football playoff team. Because the schedules are brutal, and the teams are all really good. Well, not all, of course, right? I don't think Stanford's going to be particularly good. If you're an everydayer, you know I think Arizona State's going to struggle this year. Like, there are going to be teams that are not great. However, there are a lot of really good teams in this league. I just don't know if there's a dominant one. I don't know if there's a team that can catch lightning in the bo- lightning in a bottle the way TCU did a year ago, going 12-0 in the regular season and winning all those close one-score games. I don't think we've got that. Statistics would tell you, hey, we probably don't. So then you have to move to who's a dominant team? Who's, who's the dominant team that's just going to run through everybody this year? I, I, I don't see that. Te- I see a lot of really good teams. But when I can readily make an argument for five teams winning the league, and some people might put UCLA in as a sixth, I wouldn't personally. But when I can foresee a world where five different teams are making and winning the Pac-12 championship game, I I don't know how you end up sending a team to the playoff because they just about all have to play each other. And there are other games on the schedule too because we're not just talking about winning the conference. You got to do it as a one-loss or undefeated champ. I don't see it this year. But on the first team All-American list, I don't know why that came out so choppy, but it did. You had Caleb Williams, shocking, I know, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. No surprise there. So USC's got one. Roma Dunze, wide receiver at Washington. He's on there. Well-deserved. All-purpose player. This is an interesting, an interesting guy. Travis Hunter at Colorado, I think, is going to be one of the most intriguing players to watch in the entire conference this year. Not just because he was a much, much hyped player coming out of high school and he went to Jackson State, of course, but because he may very well play Given the personnel that Colorado has had to, you know, overhaul this year, there's an opportunity to earn some starting spots. He might play on both sides of the ball, and he's a high, high-level athlete, elite, top recruit in his class if memory serves. Five-star kid. We haven't seen a player like that before. If he's able to play successfully on both sides of the ball, he might be involved in the return game there for for the Buffs this season. He he's an interesting name to watch as well. And the AP clearly thinks highly of him to put him on there as, ironically, the AP guy, the all-purpose player on uh, the the All-American first team. The other two players on there, just one on defense, 
There was Braylon Trice of Washington, the edge player. And then there was the kicker at Stanford, Joshua Cardi. Now, there were also two players from the Pac-12 on uh, the AP All-America second team. That was Jacob Cowing of Arizona on the second team. Very well-deserved honor, by the way, preseason. And, and Kalen Bullock, a playmaker in USC secondary as well. So you add them up and you see seven players total on the preseason AP All-America teams. What do you notice about those particular players? I notice two things. Number one, of the seven, only one of them is on the defensive line, and only two of them are on defense. And that is reflective of one of the ways in which the Pac-12, over the years, fell behind some other conferences, is they have not been able to consistently put up the defensive and offensive fronts that can go toe-to-toe with the best such units in the country. And that appears to be, at least based on this list, doesn't mean there aren't great players on both sides of the ball across the conference. Compared to the rest of the country, though, don't think it's there. And it's in the trenches. I remember I had, uh, I, th- I think it was, might have been John Garcia a while ago, uh, a, a recruiting guru um, talking about what exactly was setting the Pac-12 behind the other conferences. You know, it's like we got all these great players, but what exactly are we missing? And he said, it's trench play. It's defensive line and trench play. And I, I think uh, in, in terms of the contenders, Oregon is the team that is most actively trying to build a dominant defensive unit. We'll see if they make a step forward this year. They, they have... Much better personnel on paper, but games are played on the field, not on paper. They have much better personnel up front. It's why I, I think Josh Pate was so high on them. He had him at uh, number five in their in the in the JP poll, as as he calls it, the Josh Pate poll, which I personally, as an Oregon fan, I thought was way too high because I think there are questions to be answered defensively there. But it's a, just another reason to showcase why this league is going to be so much fun. Everybody's going to be scoring points. Like this is not going. To, you got two players on defense. Only one is up front that that made it from the conference here. That is indicative of what the league is going to look like. It's about the quarterbacks and it's about the skill position guys too. Travis Hunter, all purpose. That counts as offense. Roma Dunze, receiver. Jacob Cowing, receiver. And then Joshua Cardi at Stanford as a kicker. Isn't that the most Stanford thing of all time? To have a preseason All American in a time in which they are undergoing an active rebuild under uh, Troy Taylor, and I am predicting them to be the first winless team in conference play since 2017, they they notch an All-American on there. Doesn't that feel like the most academic position of all time, the uh, the kicker? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a classic in there. But I didn't actually think there were, there were any major snobs here. That's going to get people all hot and bothered, I'm, I'm sure. But... When you're talking about going up against the rest of the country, I I think that the leagues that are most likely to have a team dominant enough within their own conference to produce a college football playoff caliber season are going to have a lot more players on this list than the Pac-12 currently does. We know Caleb Williams is great. Can he do everything? He doesn't play defense, so USC's got to learn how to tackle. And Kalen Bullock is a great player at the back end of that defense, for sure. They forced a lot of turnovers a season ago. They they led the country in turnover margin. Guess what? They still couldn't get stops. If they weren't making a turnover, they weren't getting stops. 
That's a question. And, and I just go down when I'm looking at the biggest question for every Pac-12 team, and I think it's enough to where you're just not going to see a team in the playoff this year. It's why I amended my USC regular season prediction. I think they go 8-1 and one in conference play with a fairly favorable schedule, but I think they're going to lose at Notre Dame. Notre Dame came out and was not as big of an underdog as I thought in that game, and I was like, ah, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a little flip there. Rather than thinking USC would lose the Pac-12 championship game again, I think USC is going to get there, but I don't think they're getting to the playoffs because I don't trust their defense entirely, and I don't trust their defense coordinator. It's going to be a fun season, though. We're going to have a lot of great offensive players. We're going to have a lot of points scored. And I don't know how much defense we're going to be playing. It's going to be like old school Big 12. Defense, optional. Count me as here for it. Everybody likes offense and stats and uh, explosive stuff and whatnot. But about Arizona with a preseason second team All-American. Jacob Cowing, really, really good football player. Uh, we've got one more piece of news to, to talk about here. But I've got one more thing to tell you. And that's that you need to check out FanDuel. To get your betting fix on this year, FanDuel is the place to go. Football season is about to kick off. We have a football game with a Pac-12 team. I'm going to talk about this briefly here in a moment. On Saturday, that's the sixth-ranked USC Trojans. Football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. You can bet on college football. You can also bet on a Super Bowl winner. And when you do, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. How neat is that? Pick any team to win the Super Bowl. You could pick the Jets if you want. Be a foolish bet. You could pick the Seahawks if you want. Might be a not totally foolish bet. I say that as a Seahawks fan, so that might be biased. But you can bet on whoever you want, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Alrighty. So interesting move came about yesterday within the current Pac-12 and the teams that remain. Jennifer Cohen is a name you probably hadn't heard till yesterday. Many of you have probably heard it by now. She was the athletic director at the University of Washington. She is going to be the athletic director for the University of Southern California, or as you may know them, USC. Now, both of those programs are Big Ten bound, but one of them wasn't Big Ten bound until recently. And I am almost certain that you will find some tinfoil hat conspiracy theory people out there with regards to why this move is being made, what her actual reasoning is. Here's what I know about Jennifer Cohen. I know she's smart, and I know she's ambitious. And if you are those two things, and you are trying to think long-term about your career prospects, and I say this to anyone who has a really dark, deep, no good, ugly sort of thought about why Jennifer Cohen is making this move. Is Washington a high-profile school? Yes. Did she have real connections there that made the hire logical? And by the way, for the most part, she's done a good job because she made the hire that you know actually matters, which is your head football coach. Washington also has a great softball program and do well in uh, some other sports. Not so much in uh, basketball, but their softball is great. And she, of course, made a great hire here in Kalen DeBoer for the Huskies. But I don't think this is a move that 
is actually nefarious or has some puppet strings, behind the scenes, back alley conversations, stabbing people in the back sort of vibes. I think this is someone who wants to continue to elevate her profile in the world of college athletics. And a big school, Washington is, as Yoda would say, a bigger school and brand USC is. So if you want to put yourself more in the national spotlight with regards to the playoff or realignment or the power structures that be, you are better off being at USC than Washington, which is not so much a jab at Washington as it is because it's not at all, as it is acknowledging the reality of the brand that is USC. So her going there, I think tracks with Washington's move to the Big Ten because she, as I understand it, has ties to the University of Washington and, and used to go to football games there when she was a kid. And I'm sure that was a part of her introductory press conference and the stories that uh, that she told and, and whatnot. And for the most part, from what I can tell, seems like she did a, a good job. I mean, she got there in 2016 and then Washington went to the college football playoff. Now, Chris Peterson had already been hired, but, uh, you know, when she took over, things continued to go well and, and saw Washington win a Pac-12 title in 2016 and 2018 and then there was the Peterson going away. There was the Jimmy Lake coming in. There was the disaster. And then she moved right on. She swiftly acted and got uh, Kaylin DeBoer in there. And, you know, that looks like a pretty darn good hire up in Seattle. So I, I think that she's someone who wanted Washington to be well situated before she took it. Because this is not a job, the athletic director at USC. That's not a job you you know, randomly applied to two weeks ago and then got an interview for and Oh, wow, I just stumbled into it. No, this conversation has been happening. So Washington, according to reporting, having been a team and a school that was spearheading the move to the Big Ten and definitely wanted that to happen and, of course, made it happen for 2024 and beyond along with Oregon, I think that tracks with this announcement because if she had left... After, if they had stayed in the pack, signed the Apple deal, been in the league, and the perception that would have come with that, reality being, you know, whatever it may have been, the perception was certainly negative. And I think that, I think this is her, frankly, doing Washington as much of a solid as she can. Now, my saying has long been and continues to be president's vote on realignment. That's unquestionably true. Doesn't mean that they're the only voice in the room. They're the most powerful voice in the room. But an athletic director is involved in these decisions. So, or consulted, I think would be the word. So her making sure that the school that she loved and wanted to be a part of and was a part of for a long time was well off and well situated before she left, I think is her saying, I really did love Washington. I wanted to be there and she was there for a long time. But she, I think, is an ambitious person and is going to USC. So... I don't think there's a tinfoil hat conspiracy there. People can connect whatever dots they choose. That's how I read the situation. Speaking of USC, they play a football game on Saturday. An actual football game that matters. They're going to play against other human beings that are college football players. And it's going to matter for the 2023 season. And they're going to blow the doors off of San Jose State. By how many points? We'll see they're favored by around 30 you can get those odds on FanDuel as well if you want to bet them one way or the other. 
Now, here's the uh, here's the here's the irony in in this. You know, USC. I have uh, long described them as one of the players who operated behind the scenes to orchestrate the downfall of the Pac-12 because they have been. Their president, Carol Fultz, opposed expansion. Everyone wanted to keep them happy, made them think that, oh, no, we're not expanding, we're not doing nothing. And then they just turned around and left for the Big Ten later. Now, part of the reason that USC acted in such an evil fashion, depending on your point of view, some of you may have liked it, some of you may have not. I did not particularly care for it. Part of the reason they did that is because the Pac-12 was so mismanaged for such a long time and that the leadership was not doing well. They were falling behind with revenue. The Pac-12 network wasn't, it was all this sort of stuff. Isn't it kind of poetic that in USC's last year in the Pac, in which they've been a key player in orchestrating its downfall, that their first game of the year, when they're basically the biggest brand to my knowledge and recollection competing in week zero in college football this week that in order to watch them you gotta have the Pac-12 network it's just, it's right on brand isn't it you got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner you have your biggest most valuable television product playing in week zero when almost nobody else is and you have to have Pac-12 Network to watch. That's whew, hitting the nail right on the head. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.